This is episode 76 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today, Natalie keller Reinert is returning to the show. Natalie has been riding and working with horses since the age of 10, and has worked in upper-level eventing, dressage, racing, and mounted patrol. She started publishing in 2011, following the launch of a very successful blog, Retired Racehorse. Since then, she has written and published more than a dozen novels written about the equestrian experience. We're going to take a deep dive into book production in this special edition two-part interview series. In today's episode, we're diving deep on book cover design, and next week we'll be discussing interior design. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm so excited to have Natalie keller Reinert on the show for a second time. And today we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff. We're talking book design, formatting, book covers, and she's going to give us all the insider advice that we need to make sure our books look perfect before we hit publish. Welcome to the show, Natalie. Hey, thank you. It's really fun to be back again. It was so much fun last time and just really excited. <laughs> it's it's so exciting to be able to talk to you and, and have these sort of interviews because uh, I've always looked up to you and I think you're doing excellent work in the equestrian fiction genre. Uh, but the reason why we're here today is because you actually consult with fellow authors on designing their books. So I thought we could start off the conversation since you've already been on the show. We know your history with horses and we know a lot about you and I'll make sure to link to the previous episode so people can go back and listen to that. But since we're talking book design, not a great way to start the conversation off would be what are the common traps that authors get into when they finish their manuscript? Well, let's assume that they finish their manuscript the second or third or fourth time first off, because the most common trap is to assume that you're done after you've written your first draft. <clears throat> and that's a whole other layer of, of editing and beta readers and things like that. But when you do feel like you have a book ready for production, I think rushing to production, number one, um, is, a, is a big issue where you don't spend the time on the finished product. Everything is worth a first and a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth glance every time. And if you thought you were tired of your book before, <laughs> wait until you start putting together an ebook and a paperback. Oh, you're just going to hate that book. There's going to be times where you might just feel like, maybe I'm just going to delete this paragraph because it won't format correctly. Was it that important? I mean, it was just a big giveaway, but if I can't get this page spacing to work out, let's move on without it. It's just, it can be a maddening process, but you have to go slowly um, when you're designing your book. And you have to remember that that halfway with book design going forward is not good enough. There was a time when you could just put everything out in the same, you know, 
sort of, this is in Times New Roman because I know they're going to adjust it on their Kindle or what have you. And the chapter heading is just in italics and things like that. And then one reason we could get away with kind of light processing on our eBooks in particular was because big publishers were, Mm. they were putting out really basic products and they're not anymore especially if you write in a genre with more light-hearted uh text like like romance for example especially contemporary romance funnier romance they're putting a lot of effort into graphics and cute fonts things like that and you have to keep up if you want to look like you belong in that pack so there's that piece there's a rushing to production piece and and really um, taking the time to create this really polished item. The other piece I want to touch on is advice and who you take your advice from. We all know we're not supposed to take advice from our friends. <laughs> we're not supposed to put two covers together um, on our Facebook page and say, hey guys, tell me which one you like best. The, uh, you know, one cover might look great next to another cover, but is it going to stand on its own in its category against 20 other covers? And knowing your category is the third trap that I want to touch on. You have to be really, really clear with yourself, with your audience about what category you belong in. Mm -hmm. There are hundreds of categories to sell your books in, all of these subgenres. Even if you're just writing a horse book, there are dozens of subgenres of horse book. Do your books match your fellow books. I'll go ahead and say competitors, even though we all work together on this. Do your books match your competitors? Does your book look similar? Not the same, but similar in design to your competitor. So you have to be really, really sure that your category matches your cover design. Sometimes it can be hard to say what category your book really belongs in. You have to be honest with yourself. And if you have a great beta reader group, you can talk to them about it, or you can email another author and you can ask them but you need to get that really really clear right away because if you miscategorize your book you miscover your book you're going to turn off right readers right away that wow that is a that's a big huge opening pile of advice <laughs> for authors to consider and i you know you touched on some really important things and i think we're going to unpack that as we move into the the interview here you know, I, this is about book design, this interview, but I wanted to touch really quickly on what you said earlier about editing, copy editing, uh, beta readers. Can you share with listeners a, a little bit more, particularly for independent authors, why that process is so very important before I think you even get into book design and working with a professional because you cannot edit something that you've spent so much time with on your own because you kind of stop seeing it. Why is it so important to go through that editing, copy editing, and then advanced reader sort of process? Well, it's kind of like when you're at work and something is broken and nobody can figure out why, so you call in somebody else for that extra pair of eyes. That's its Mm -hmm. most basic level, right? Mm -hmm. For editing, like a developmental edit, when somebody goes in and makes notes on your story and, and gives you feedback on your story, I think one of the biggest benefits of that is that you don't know what you don't know about writing. Some of us are innate storytellers. We love to tell a story, but maybe we're not the most technically gifted writer. Some of us are the opposite. 
were very, very good at crafting lovely copy, but our plotting is, is off. Our pacing is off. Our characters are flat. So both of those paintings are missing the input, you know, of another piece. And so, and you know, any kind of editor can, you know, even if it's not a line edit where they go, right, I've given you 50 pages of track changes on your book, but somebody to say, this character isn't doing it for me. What if you, you know, gave them a quirk, described them, made them speak like their age group. These are all really common mistakes. You know, like maybe you'll write a young adult novel, but in a very adult sort of formal way. Or, you know, the exact opposite, you know, you write an adult novel in like the most basic sentences possible, and it just needs a little oomph, it needs a little art. So there are a ton of courses and books that can help you produce that, even if you don't have a full, you know, line by line, you need to fix this kind of edit, you can read about it. There are lovely books on the market to help you spruce up your writing, spruce up your story. There are programs to do it for you. But that is something when I, I do read manuscripts, you know, like first drafts to give, give an opinion, like a, like a critique. It's one of my Patreon levels mm. is to do a, a, a first chapter critique or a chapter every month. And a lot of times what I'll get is somebody who's passionate about the story they want to tell, but their writing just needs to be pulled together and tightened up. Mm. It's not hard to do. It's hard to see for yourself. Mm -hmm. So that, that whole editing piece, that's, that's part of the development of your book. Mm -hmm. You know, copy editing, your proofreading. That's something, <laughs> for one thing, you'll find a million typos throughout your book. <laughs> yes, that, that is for sure. You will find that. Your beta readers will find that. Your uh, spouse will find them. Your judgmental child will find them. Everyone will find typos for you. And you will send your book out with a few typos, mm -hmm. but not dozens and not hundreds. When I'm doing book design for somebody, I will often sort of make recommendations when I see something that's over the top. And the, th the three things I think about the most are white space, right? So, and it kind of leads into my chapter Break, break length, but white space is about your paragraphs and how often you're giving your readers' eyeballs a break. Mm. And that's a basic of digital copywriting that carries over into ebooks. And since most of us are writing primarily for an ebook audience, considering white space is really important. Now, I'm very guilty of long paragraphs, but I do consider them and they have been longer. Mm. So. <laughs> And then chapter length is a really big one. Like, are your chapters sort of evenly length? You know, are your chapters 2,000 words? Are they 1,500 words? That kind of thing. If one chapter is 6,000 words and the others are all 2,000, I'm going to mention it. And you're like, maybe we should think about, you know, maybe it's not my place. Maybe I'm just a nosy person. But I really just want everybody to have just the best product possible, you know. Absolutely. And, and editing and copy editing and proofreading to catch those errors and improve upon the story is an important investment to make. And I think you touched on something really important, which is educate yourself on and talk to people and on the fundamentals of these different things. Because when you go to write your story, you don't often think about all the stuff that happens on the other side, which mm -hmm. is why this interview today is so important that goes into releasing the very best product 
that you can. So, and I imagine even though you are, you do editing and, and copy editing, you do work with someone else to edit your stories, I would imagine. Is that right? I do. I do. It's really in-house. It is my husband. He is an editor. So mm. I have that going for me. He's actually working on a book for me right now in the other room. But I, you know, I have a, I have a very serious writing background. Like for me, pacing and plotting have always been my issue. My sentences, don't mess with my sentences. I do what I want. (laughs) They're fun for me. But yes, and I also have many, many beta readers and many, many people on the lookout for typos before Mm -hmm. a book goes out. Mm-hmm. So they get fine tooth combed by multiple sets of eyeballs besides my own. Okay. That's, that's huge. <laughs> and that's part of your Patreon package too. If people support you through pre- Patreon, they get an early read of your books. They're, they become like your beta readers. Is, is that right? That is right. And that is a really fantastic way to get feedback um, because they get the book before anybody else. I send out advanced reader copies usually well before I've even started prepping it for actual production. Um, When I just feel like I'm comfortable with the draft, I might make a few changes to it. I send it out and say, hey, whatever you find, if it's story or or format related, let me know. That's great. And it has to be exciting for your patrons too, to be able to participate and assist you that way. And, And it's amazing how, you know, when you send advanced copies out, how one person will find such and such but then completely miss another, you know, several typos that another person will catch. That's why getting various eyes on it is so important to, to catch those things. So you've already given us a lot to consider. Let's like sort of narrow down the discussion to book cover best practices. What, what are some tips that you would suggest when people are thinking about book cover, you already mentioned, you know, research your genre, make sure it stands with the other books in the genre. Uh, I think particularly for horse books, I'd love to hear your insight on, you know, does a horse on the cover matter? Mm -hmm. Is that important? But, but you also have some tips that you can share with authors who are not designers or don't have a designer background. So let's start talking about some tips on things to consider with book cover design. Yeah. I do think the most important thing is to research your genre. Mm. So like you just mentioned, you have to be honest with yourself about who is, who is, who is, what are the people reading? (laughs) What are your potential readers reading right now? How can you say this is like that? You know, especially for Kindle, Kindle Unlimited, free books, Anything where you're chasing down voracious readers, people who are going to finish a book and start another one without putting their Kindle down, mm-hmm. you know, no pauses. Those are the, those are the people you want, right? So they ha- they're looking for, a lot of people are looking for the same book told differently. And how differently you tell it, that's a whole other story. But getting the book cover right to match that category is just massive. And you have to be honest with yourself because I've seen people before say, oh no, it's this. And the readers are saying, oh no, it's that. And the cover is somewhere else. When it comes to tools to use, I think think you asked about tools. Well, before we move move to to tools, if someone doesn't have a design background, I mean, essentially, Mm -hmm. I I think the recommendation would be work with a professional. But before we go there, when you're, when you're, I think, one thing to I wanted to clarify is that readers generally know what they like and they read within a specific 
genre. Like I read all over the place, but a lot of readers aren't like that. They keep reading the same thing. And, and the reason why you're saying research or genre is because readers identify with the covers because there's sort of a, a criteria in cover design for specific genres. And if they're looking for something that resonates with them based on the things that they like to read that they've read before, just I want to make, make sure that was clear to read. So for example, cowboy romance mm-hmm. always has a similar type of cover. You know, there's a tall, dark and handsome cowboy with a cowboy hat and a woman. They're usually like in a suggestive pose, like get, leaning in for a kiss or hugging or, you know, something sort of country-ish going on in the background, but they always pretty much look the same, right? But it, it, but what's interesting is in our genre, equestrian fiction, there are the subgenres. But as far as having a horse on the cover, you know, what are your, what are your, what are your thoughts there with kind of like how the books for equestrian fiction should look? Sure. So, so you're right. The, the most basic and most successful equestrian fiction cover is a horse picture. And it works. I use it consistently across all my titles. I hardly ever put people in my covers. I use horses. Horse pictures can convey the mood of the book. The covers that I use for my eventine series look nothing like the cover that I use for Grabbing Maine. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they evoke completely different emotions and they say what's in the book. Eventine series is a fast-paced, high-stakes book about professional eventing series. And Grabbing Maine looks a bit like a romance because I really wanted to convey this horse is taking over this person's life like a first love would. Mm-hmm. It's an emotional, oh my God, I love my horse cover. It's got nothing to do with competition. So you can, you can say, yeah, it's a horse picture, but the mood is everything. And then there's the important, I'm writing for horse people. Horse people are very opinionated. Will I start a fight with horse people by using this cover? I have some specific rules for stock photography that I use. Helmets. If there's a person in it, and there's almost never a person in it, like I said, but if somebody were to, for me to consider a book, that person has to be wearing a helmet. I'm not getting into that conversation again. (laughs) Bits. The horse, unless it's an upper level dressage horse, I need that horse to be in a plain bit, plainest bit possible. My book cover is not the place to start a discussion about whether a horse should wear a Pelham or an elevator or a hackamore or anything. Just a snaffle bit, all right? Just make it simple. And if any stock photographers are out there, we need more snaffles. <laughs> make your lives easier. We don't want to fight. And you know, and it's basic stuff like that. Um, just, just sort of what do, what do horse people fight about? Okay, avoid those things mm-hmm. at, at its most basic. I had an almost gaffe earlier this year with that. I was recovering the eventing series and I chose a gorgeous dressage horse for pride. It was the right color. Everything about that picture worked for me. It was so symmetrical. I love symmetry. He was very slightly behind the vertical, meaning, you know, he was a little tiny bit overbent on the bit. And people came after me when I said, how do you like this cover? Yeah, like, he's behind the vertical. I said, okay, new, new picture. I can't have this conversation. New picture. 
Wow. Yeah. That and is- I'd already bought it, folks. But you know what? It's a small price to pay to buy a new photo and redesign <laughs> to avoid offending people. Mm. People have very strong opinions. It's not my place on the cover to upset them. I might upset them on the inside, but I try not to. It's not really my thing. So yeah, you can't be too cautious with a horse photo. You mm. really can't. So if you can convey the mood without starting a fight, you're in a really good place. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have copies of, of, of the eventing series and uh, grabbing name right there so you could hold up and, and show to the people watching this on YouTube the difference between the two? I love all of your covers. <laughs> particularly grabbing mane because I think you absolutely nailed the love between a woman and a horse and then that romantic feeling so I just wanted people watching this on YouTube to be able to see the difference between the two so this is the cover of grabbing mane you got that in there okay <laughs> so we've got this woman leaning back against her horse her eyes are closed she's got a manicure which I think is a fun little like leftover from her previous life <laughs> <laughs> it's not dead yet uh, and so, you know, it's, it's just like, it's a definitely like a first love romance kind of picture, but instead of a guy, there's a kind of bored looking horse. And I really think it says it all. Now, the most fun thing about this for me is that I did ask for advice. I always, not always, I sometimes will put a bunch of cover images, uh, into Patreon and let my readers uh, there give me their opinions. And not everyone liked this. Interesting. And said it was too romancy. Mm. Some other things. I don't really remember everything. And I and I I really did take all of their advice under consideration. And in the end, I decided to go with my gut and that this was the one. And it's just been it's been phenomenal. And it this came with some interesting design issues. For some reason, see how there's this this sort of bokeh like yellow sun flare right here Mm -hmm. and then the little curl of the m kdp amazon's you know printing arm couldn't make that render it would it would suck the color out of the m's curly q and so in the cover of the ebook this curly q is much further over i had to move the whole word over to make it work Wow, little tiny glitches like that mm-hmm. that that you wouldn't anticipate. It, and it's, and it's just, not in it's not in any of the previews. It's not in the PDF that I created. It's not in Photoshop. It's only in the finished copy. So in contrast to that, the Eventing series has got really high stakes kind of covers. For example, Courage, the new cover of Courage. The old one was also an action uh, shot, but I, when I changed it out, I went for brighter colors. And so you've got this one, obviously galloping cross country. The first one, mm-hmm. this book sells itself with this cover. In case you're wondering, I can go to a book signing and put six books on the table and people pick up this book every time. People who don't know anything about horses pick up that cover. That's a, a beautiful cover. I mean, it, it's the black background with the, the bold gray horse on the cover and it's just very yeah it is gorgeous and it's actually a color photo which is what's really great about it you can see a wee bit of brown on his nostril when he goes in (laughs) and then this is the new cover of pride so you can see that if that horse is overbent you'll never know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also 
because he's going away. Mm-hmm. And I also took into account the spur. I made sure the rider wasn't spurring the horse, things like that. Which are really important things to, to consider. And I, I think particularly first time independent authors that are going into this process, these are all things that you might not know to expect to be aware of. So it's like really fantastic information that you're sharing here that the equestrian community can get so heated about certain things when it comes to photography for your book cover around the horses. So mm-hmm. we take things very seriously and the public can too. So I've worked facing the public in, um, you know, in Central Park and we like, we would wear spurs, things like that. And people, oh, why do you have spurs? Oh, okay. Well, we have spurs because we might be riding in traffic and we might need to nudge our horse sideways very quickly so we don't die. But it looks like we're stabbing our horses with sticks. So it can be for, you know, the general public as well, even outside to just remove any sort of ambiguity about how we're treating our horses. That's right. And then... When you said helmet, you meant make sure if you're showing a person in a picture of them riding the horse that they're in a helmet, because I just wanted to make sure to clarify that because grabbing me and she's on the ground, she's not wearing a helmet. But if they're on the horse, equestrians get very heated about people not wearing helmets, uh, particularly these days. So uh, Mm -hmm. something important to consider. (laughs) Awesome advice. So, So you kind of stand in, if you're writing a book that prominently features horses, there definitely should be a horse on the cover today. Is that right? If you are going specifically for, this is an equestrian specific novel. This Mm -hmm. is the horses are characters. You're writing this for horse people to read and understand. Then you're probably leaving money on the table if you don't put a horse on the cover. Again, because look at the category. Mm -hmm. You're competing against all of these other books that have horses on the cover, they're like, well, what is this? It doesn't, I don't know if this is supposed to be here. Sometimes <laughs> people just drop random books into categories. I have an example, and that's my new book, which is not primarily a horse book. It has a horse setting, but it is primarily a romance. And so I didn't want to say, okay, I'm going to drop this into all the equestrian categories where all of my books always are, because it's not. It, ha- it just has horses in it probably more horses than your average book would, but just the same. What it is, is it's a setting-based women's, sort of women's fiction novel. So like the ones where you see, you know, two deck chairs on the beach or a country village swagged out for the 4th of July. That's the kind of cover this book's category requires. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. So this is the cover. It has a not for resale thing on it, but this is the cover of my new book. So it's got a farmhouse. The farmhouse is literally in the county where I set the book. It's very place-driven. So this looks nothing like my other books. Yes, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's meant to attract a different audience. It's also an experiment. And if it fails, I will change the cover because they're very easy to change. Uh, <laughs> but I wanted to see what would happen if I put this into women's contemporary and contemporary romance and those categories. And that's what those books look like. Mm-hmm. So that's what we have. That's smart. So you're, you're in this is a, a, a cool experiment. I can't wait to hear how that goes. And you're back to writing romance. I know you tried your hand at it a while ago, and now you're back. What inspired the romance? Did, did the story just bubble up, and you were like, oh, I'm going to have to follow this? Or, yeah, you know, at the big, I, I started this in 
March or April at the beginning of, of lockdown. And I just wanted to go somewhere that wasn't my living room. Uh, and so, and I, I was talking actually to Brittany Joy about this, you know, another great equestrian author mm -hmm. about just sort of wanting to go back to where you were from that cozy feeling of home. And I, you know, my family is from Western Maryland and um, have a farm that looked really similar to the farm on the cover of this book. And I just wanted to sort of feel that cozy hillsides and cows and horses and, and no people around, you know, cause obviously <laughs> the last thing we wanted were people around at the time. So it was really a product of the time was this decision to go ahead and write about Maryland and, and make it, I decided to make it a romance. It's a dual POV. So male, female, back and forth. Mm -hmm. Wanted to see, you know, if it's something that I could do that people appreciated and responded to. Maybe there's a whole, you know, separate audience out there than just horse books. I think it can be a palette cleanser to write in different genres from mm -hmm. time to time. I know Brittany Joy does the same thing, mm -hmm. right? She also writes fantasy. So it can be, it can be really pleasant to just take a breath and step away for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, and as you know, an author of equestrian fiction, you don't have to stay in that lane. You can experiment with trying your hat, your hand at other genres and do exactly like you said, clear your palette and, you know, use different parts of your creative mind to tell different stories. So we're, we are not limited to writing, you know, horse books. There's horses in your books, but we're not limited just in that, that stream. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, uh, you had some tips for an author, even if they're not a designer, for ways that they can develop a book cover. What, would you share a few of those? Yeah. So the first thing would be to spend a lot of time looking for your photo, like mm -hmm. we talked about. Basically, let's start at the beginning. What is your book cover going to look like? A digital book cover, an ebook first cover, is going to be a picture, a title, and an author's name. And if you've got a series, put the series name in there. It doesn't need a tagline. It doesn't need a whole little like question, like what will she do if he never comes home? The reason being, you can't read those in a thumbnail. It doesn't need wild typography or all sorts of tricks. If you were to Google 2020 cover trends, you would get a whole lot of useless information. The reason is you're not... Uh, you're not producing books for a bookstore. You're producing books for e-commerce. So it's really, really important to remember what can be seen on the screen. That can mean little flourishes, underlinings, any kind of decoration. Might be over the top. It might take away. That's why you know I use I use images that really speak for themselves and don't need any additives. I might play with the color. And if you want to put embellishments onto your cover, play with your paperback cover. It doesn't need to look like you're exactly like your ebook cover. In terms of tools there, if you're not comfortable using Photoshop, there are programs that can do a lot of the work for you. I think people are starting to use Canva for book cover design people I use Adobe Spark for a lot of social media and I think they have some book cover design what I would do would be to use something like Adobe Spark and invest the ten dollars to get access to Adobe fonts mm. because using a free font is really obvious <laughs> especially that bridesmaid font it's called like playlist I think and when you see it for me, when I see playlist font, it's 
just like, oh, you just made this <laughs> on the free version of something. And it looks like, for me, living in Florida, it looks like a t-shirt you'd wear to Disney World. It doesn't really make me <laughs> feel like, oh, I'm so wowed by this book. I can't wait to read it. It looks like a t-shirt. I'm a bit of a font snob and I can, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I, I like playing with fonts, but, and it doesn't need to be involved. Like you can tell my two favorite fonts because I use them over and over again. I use... <clears throat> Baskerville at any given opportunity. It's beautiful and I love it. And I use this is Trajan Sans Pro. Mm. All right. It's an Adobe font. It will do so much heavy lifting for you. It's amazing. I even use it. Yeah, I use it on the inside as well for the um, headers. And then this is like Adrian something. Mm -hmm. Super easy to read. Read it from a distance. It does a lot of heavy lifting for you. So if you can find <clears throat> a couple of basic fonts that are really easy to read, just stick with those. Just keep mm-hmm. it simple, simple, simple. Mm-hmm. The big ex- exception to that, I'm going to pull out Linda's book for a minute. I, I created uh, the paperback of Linda Chance's amazing book, Good Things Come. She is a rising star. She used, She's a painter, right? And so she wanted to use this particular painting of hers as cover image. She was like, and it works. It's beautiful. But she wanted the the font to reflect that it was a painting. And so it was kind of a scrawly font. And the mock-up that she sent me used playlist because it was, you know, scrawly. <laughs> so she found this incredible font. <clears throat> and she purchased the license to it and sent it to me. And I used that. It's called Teaspoon. But then we balanced it out with a really basic sans serif font. So there are lots of websites that will tell you, like, Good font combinations. Keep it to two. <laughs> you don't need three fonts. You never need. There's there's no need. You don't need three. Uh, <laughs> and I think that you know a well chosen font plus a beautiful uh, cover photo is most of your work. Mm-hmm. You can but, honestly do an ebook in ten minutes once you have the supplies. Mm-hmm. You know? And specifically matches your genre, right? You know that's the most important mm-hmm. part. Yeah. Yeah. No, your homework and the ability to select the right photo is going to take you hours and hours and hours. And hours. Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking for a photo, just go ahead and, and block out a week. <laughs> <laughs> Most stock photography comes from Eastern Europe or Russia. Mm. And um, sometimes you find the right photo, but it's full of Cyrillic writing or you, who knows what it says, or you find the right photo, but they've got the halter on upside down and you know okay they do things differently but it's not going to work here so (laughs) i've seen stock photography where they have like the bit in the middle the person's forehead like tied to opposite sides of the bridle and i'm like what is going on there and and for newbies right so if we have any newbie independent authors that are moving into doing this for the first time uh can you talk briefly about stock photography and why it's so important to purchase the, your photos so you can use them because you know you can't just grab something off the internet <laughs> use it as a as a photo you have to own the rights to be able to reproduce and do it this way so can you talk briefly right. about that just for you know anyone listening in there are legal aspects to book cover design too absolutely you know and the first thing i want to address is free stock photos we've all seen them we've seen every single free stock photo of a horse <laughs> yes don't use one because we've we know we've seen it we've seen it in advertisements for gastroguard and we've seen it in advertisements for the 4-h and we it's everywhere don't use it it costs 
$12 to buy uh, from like iStock Photo. I use iStock Photo, mm-hmm. Dreamstime. I have used Shutterstock. Mm-hmm. I think they're more expensive. I do too. Um, yeah. I agree. You know, just whenever you, you sign up for their emails and whenever iStock has a 20% off thing, buy some credits and then you have them for when you, you know, want to have a photo and make sure it's creative. The license is creative. Editorial license does not mean you can use it on the cover. And base, but basically the cheap creative license from a stock photography store will cover you for creating books and for using the imagery for advertisements for your books. It won't cover you for making merchandise for your books. So mm-hmm. don't put your cover on a canvas bag unless you bought, you check your, you check the license and you might have to buy up. Dreams time is a little cheaper. And I think that they have some merchandise licenses that are a little cheaper if that's something you really want to do. But be aware that you have to license your images because somebody eventually is going to say, hey, that's my photo. Especially if you're using a horse photo. If you pull one of like, I don't know, Shannon Brinkman's photos from like Horse Illustrated mm-hmm. or um, from an event, or you pull it off the USAF website or something, somebody is going to, you know, say, Hey, that's me. You can't use that. Or somebody's going to tell Shannon Brinkman, you cannot use that photo. And then you're facing a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. I did see something really funny with a free stock photo where somebody was, there was like a barn was running an ad and somebody wanted to complain about the barn, which is normal. (laughs) And somebody else said, Hey, that is, you know, Sandy, what's her face? jumping at CCI and does she know that her photo is being used for this well it's one of those stock photos like I've seen the stock photo a hundred times they just pulled it used on their website just or like free stock photo let me rephrase that I don't know if she's licensed the use of that I don't I don't know the legalities of that but the fact of the matter was you could be using that photo that free photo that is licensed creative commons but she the writer may not have licensed that and it can be caught up in a whole number of other things so just dig deep Mm. spend the dollars you know get the licensed photo because it's complicated and you don't want to get involved with media rights issues or anything (laughs) like that and it's so easy not to you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, you want to protect yourself, particularly, you know, because we're making a dollar a book. We can't handle, you know, a lawsuit, you know. So yeah, it's, it's no important. doubt. It's important. I wanted to make sure we touched on that that legal aspect. So now, can you talk to us a little bit? Like we really covered uh, front the front cover of the book, have a really beautiful image that speaks to the reader who's looking for similar books, uh, w- which they like to read. Use of fonts. Uh, make sure there's no more than two different kinds of fonts. Can you talk to us a little bit about things that that you consider and you recommend for back of the book cover design? Because that's as important, well, particularly when it comes to paperback, back of book <laughs> cover design and spine. What what are your thoughts on designing those? Definitely a less is more attitude towards those. If you can get your cover photo to wrap around the spine, fantastic. If you can't, okay. When I look at my traditionally published shelves, I see everything and every and anything. There's no one rule for how your spine or your back cover should really look like. Most of mine follow a really basic pattern. Pride, I was fortunate enough that the photo was able to wrap around the spine. I think it's really pretty. Mm-hmm. I had to move where I wanted to put the title because of where the greenery was. 
So I don't want to go too crazy with drop shadow. I use a little bit of drop shadow and just to make the words pop a little bit, but you don't want to get too crazy with, with any type effects. And then on the back, it's kind of a longish description, but it's, it's really, it's, it's got a heading. It's got three paragraphs. It's got, this is the second book in the series. It's got my beautiful grinning face <laughs> and a little bio. And that's pretty much the pattern I use for all of mine. When it comes to writing it, it's usually an edited down version of my book description that I would use for my ebook. And regarding that, less is more again. Uh, don't make a book report. Don't tell me what's going to happen. Just tell me why it's interesting. Tell mm. me who's in it and that they're going to face a challenge and why I should care. I'm reading a book right now that in no place in the book description was there a ghost. And then these two people are like having like a little romantic moment. And then there's just one line, the picture of, you know, Mrs. Beasley shattered. And I went <gasps> like out loud, like, oh my God, what just happened? And now there's a ghost. I went back and looked. This is, doesn't say there was a ghost anywhere. This is amazing. Who knew there was a ghost? It's fantastic. That's a twist. Mm -hmm. right and if you say in your book blurb and then the ghost appears it's not a twist anymore guys it's just what's going to happen and so I see loads of people uploading blurbs where they say this was Jane and Jane has fallen for Michael oh those are the children of Mary Poppins Jane has fallen for Anthony <laughs> <laughs> Jane and Anthony must uh, go to Brighton to visit the King's Pavilion and along the way they will meet Melanie. Melanie collects seashells and they just go on and on and on. I don't need any of that. What I need is Jane is in love with Anthony. Anthony is in love with uh, Rochelle and they're all going to meet on the Brighton Pier for a fun picnic. What will happen? Right? Mm. Like that's <laughs> shorten it up. The seagulls attack. That's, you know, that's the fun twist. The seagulls attack. If you've been, you know, there's um, <laughs> something that happens frequently in Florida, not so frequently in Arizona. This that happened to me the first time I came to Florida as a child. A seagull took my sandwich right out of my hand. Oh my goodness. And it has not improved since. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. And then blurbs are like a whole nother realm, right? And just like you were talking earlier about, you know, there's tools to educate yourself. There are, there are copy editing courses and classes and books that you can read to help you improve the art of the book mm -hmm. blur because just like cover design is an art your back of the cover description and also the description that goes on your uh, book sales pages are it's an art you know and it's right. another art you can educate yourself on and I'm glad we we touched on that because a whole lot of the journey of being an author is a lot of educating yourself and learning what works and a lot of trial and error too. I imagine, you know, you've been in, you've been doing this for a very long, like how long have you been writing? I mean, you've been writing for a long time. I've been uh, writing for a long time. I've been publishing for almost 10 years. Right. So there's, I'm sure your entire journey has been trial and error. So now, mm -hmm. now having gone through all that, you can speak eloquently and share your knowledge on, on the podcast for other authors to help them out, but you can also help other authors with their book design, having gone through it yourself <laughs> yeah I mean that's part of the part of the journey and um one of the great things about being in self-publishing obviously is that you can make a mistake and you don't lose your career mm. um you don't 
not get renewed. You don't, you know, not get a contract for another book. You don't get out of print <laughs> because your book didn't sell well for six months. You just go, right. Uh, let me take some quick courses, <clears throat> brush this up and launch it again. And we'll see what happens this time. Mm-hmm. And we get to do that over and over and over again. And sometimes we just change stuff because we think it's more fun this way, you know, and experiment and revise and play. That's you. If you can embrace the ever changing nature of it and make it into this long game that you're playing instead of, right, I've written my book. Here it is. Goodbye. Thank you. Then it's, it is an amazing journey. Like I can't believe where I've come from since starting out. And I still have, I have my first book, my first book proof (laughs) from the head and not the heart. It wasn't a good cover uh, for the category, but it actually was kind of quite a decent, like literary fiction sort of chapbook kind of cover. And the first one came out all crinkly and pixelated because I didn't know how to make the file size big enough. (laughs) So I have it on my shelf. You can't see it. Don't ask. (laughs) Um, But I loved that cover. It was, it was, sometimes I do think it can be good to indulge yourself for your first, I don't want to say for your first time out, like your first book. And I don't, but like at some point, if there's a cover that you want, make it and have it, mm-hmm. you know, you can be a, a little self-indulgent, especially if you have other forms of income to say, right, well, I know it won't sell as many copies this way, but for a little while, at least I really want it to look that way. That's okay. Cause it's your book. Mm-hmm. Just don't misrepresent it to your to people who are going to purchase it because it's their money and they're going to respond in kind with reviews that you don't want mm-hmm. you know so if I was like I always wanted to have like a Rita Mae Brown mystery cover <laughs> so I'm going to make Grabby Mane that well that would be really uncool of me because it's not in any way shape or form a Rita Mae Brown mystery <laughs> <laughs> it would be misrepresenting of what the actual story is yeah, so you certainly would, don't want to do that but like but, bait and switch essentially <laughs> Like, still in a timeshare. Yeah, I can. Have, I can only imagine the reviews that would come come wheeling in after after something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, and it's it's this is this is so great. And it, and you mentioned something really important. It's like you, as an independent author, you have the control. You can change. You can fix. You can update. You can play with it. And that's that's what's so fun is you have the control to do that. I'm glad you really mentioned that. Uh, since we're on paperbacks. Do, do you have a preference for size? There's a variety of sizes that uh, authors can choose when they're looking at, you know, publishing. There's six by nine, which I think my books are. There's the uh, smaller, five by eight. You know, what, what are your thoughts on paperback size? Do you think that, is there a standard that you recommend or do you think it's author's choice or what, what do you think? It can depend on the book a little bit. I have started doing five by 8.25. Mm. which is kind of a standard trade paper size. This is a 5.825. And I selected it when I started putting out, actually, I think my first book was this size. And it was literally just, listen, I've got hundreds and hundreds of trade paperbacks on my shelves. So I had plenty of comparison. And then there's one up from that. Linda's book is the 0.85, slightly taller. Mm-hmm. I think it works really well. I really like it. The Eventing series is six by nine, which is much taller. I probably chose that. This is the original cover of Ambition. And I probably chose this this size to show off the image more than anything else. But that locked me in 
for what is going at this point to be a six book series to six by nine books next to <laughs> precious mm-hmm. so it wasn't the best decision but it was also 2013 and um it's probably the best decision at the time <laughs> part of it can be pricing for you because you're paying for production you're paying in part for page length right so you might be able to save a little bit in production costs if your book isn't quite as long when you make it a six by nine as opposed to when it's uh like a six a five by eight or something like that um just because there's more room for text so it can be a little thinner i generally my books are really long for the genre they're usually about a hundred thousand words which comes out to about 370 pages or so for this size book um so i usually pay like five and a quarter for production costs which is high Mm -hmm. i don't make much money off of my paperbacks but i mostly sell you books i don't really worry about it because the the paperback is it's kind of like a point of pride to me like Mm -hmm. my my ebooks are there for you they will get that you know get that story to you and you will enjoy it and it is beautiful inside because i know a whole bunch about pdfs now but <laughs> my paperbacks and you're like oh you really wanted something for your shelf okay i'm gonna give you something gorgeous for your shelf i'm not messing around that's right and then also as an author when you go to author events you know people like that physical book mm-hmm. and there and there still are people that will that prefer to read a paperback so having them in both places serves good purpose on both sides because authors do make a little more from the digital side a lot of people prefer a digital ebook for their devices but there's still the people that will only read paperbacks mm-hmm. and then when you go to an author event you have something special to sign and share with your readers so they can that's huge when you meet people face to face they want paper they're not messing around they'll definitely call you on it if you don't have a physical product to sell to them like where is it mm-hmm. it's on your computer i am a person who has always read ebooks i'm i have dozens of ebooks on my phone right now i have a kindle but i'm been ordering a lot of paperbacks lately because I'm on my computer constantly mm. and I'm burned out. Mm-hmm. So now I like to go out, sit down with my book, read my book. And as with so many people on remote work, you know, not in their office anymore, staring at their computer all day long without like breaks, socializing and things like that. I do think paperbacks could tick up in popularity just as a general rule. It's just sort of a theory of mine. Mm-hmm. Well, there's um, all these conversations too about breaking screen time. I mean, we're all addicted mm-hmm. to our phones and our computers. So like an actual book it changes you know how your eyes are looking at something and it takes you away from the screen so i i actually see not just during this time but i actually see there could be a, a rise in paperback consumption as well just given that consciousness about screen time that's been coming up you know natalie what should an author be aware of when it comes to the creation of the print book cover design and then the digital cover design because there there's similarities and differences in 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 how that works what would you share with an author to be on the lookout for when it comes to print design and digital design well digital covers are tiny comparatively speaking you can get away with a really small file size for a digital cover that's why programs like canva will let you make a digital cover and it be, it's just a jpeg it's 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 practically nothing 
sometimes I'm sometimes I'm nervous when I up like this can't possibly be big enough and it works out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> so that makes them much easier from a from a design perspective. You just pop it in. Here's my cover or here's my photo. Here's my title. Here's my name. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle out the door. They don't need the plussing like I talked about with embellishments, you know, shadowy overlays or little lines or little doohickeys or whatever. You it, don't bother with any of that. So you can do a digital cover in 20 minutes if you're, you know, really committed to your idea. Paperbacks take time. They're huge files, so you need to have the right program to create those huge files. Uh, sometimes you need the right computer to manage those. Like if you're on an older like laptop, your computer might just choke and take you forever to mm. get through the process. They're they're just they're massive. So generally speaking, you have to you can use most of your um, ebook cover to create the front of your paperback, but you have to think about your spine. You have to think about the back cover and you have to decide if you need to move elements around because the, the absolute size is different. Like on, you know, my Catoctin Creek novel, I had to move up my name on the paperback and I don't like it as much where it is on the paperback, but say la vie. It fit much, there was more bushes on the, on the Kindle cover because it's narrower. Mm-hmm. And the paperback is wider. So the bushes ended up getting cut out. And then there was a whole thing with color editing that just, it was only on the Kindle size. And so when I put on, put the cover onto the, the paperback template, the color changed very abruptly. I was like, oh no. And it was very hard to fix. But I fixed it because I'm a professional. <laughs> there, was, there was a while where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. Getting your items onto your template uh, in the right places are extremely important. And if you haven't done a paperback, what I mean is you have to plug in the number of pages your book is to get a template that is the correct size to make your paperback. It is essential that you do not try to make a paperback cover before you know how many pages your book is or the weight of your paper. If you're working with Amazon, they make it very, very easy. They say, right, how many pages is it? And you go, 370. And they go, cream or white? And you go, cream. And it goes, right, here's a template. Mm -hmm. Because this width is not the same as this width. So I couldn't use the same template for those, even if they were the same height. That is really important. I have had people send me paperback book covers. And I say, oh, this isn't going to work. Why? I haven't even formatted the paperback yet. I don't know how long it is. We don't know how long it is yet because you sent me a Word document. Uh, the Word yeah. document might say it's 112. Yeah, but, that's a great point. You have to upload it into the distribution service like KDP or uh, Amazon's KDP Yeah, to know how long the book is going to be in print, right? And then you go back, you have the cover design, and then you go it, back later and add it, correct? It, it depends on how you make it. Mm-hmm. You, you have to have the, fi- the book file. I make PDFs, so I can look at the PDF and it'll say, this is 370 pages, and then that's what I'll type in to Amazon. So I don't necessarily upload it to get that info, but that works too. It just depends on your formatting type. It's absolutely huge. Like yeah. if you get the wrong spine, it comes back to you. Your your images have folded over the spine. It's happened to me. It's very sad. You don't want it. And it takes ages to get a proof too. So it sets you back five, six days every single time you wait for a proof. They're not rushing those to you. They do not care that you are a prime member. Yeah, you're going to sit and wait. Basically, 
ebook, easy. Enjoy yourself. Have fun. Change it up. Paperback, just just get ready. It's coming for you. <laughs> and and I wanted to touch on something too. You design your own book covers because you have a background in graphic design and that, that is how you are able to do your interior and your book covers. Now, talk to authors who think who have no background in graphic design, talk to them about what they should consider if they're thinking about trying to design their book cover on their sure. own. I think the best thing to just consider is how many books you're going to write a year. If this is your only book, have somebody else do the cover. Mm. If this is a book a year, it might be worth learning how to do. And when I say learning how to do, I mean learning, taking a graphic design course and taking a Photoshop course. When I started publishing, I didn't have a graphic design education and another, and somebody else did my book covers because I did the first one and it was a flop it was a disaster and amazing author Maggie Dana actually did the head and not the heart ambition other people's horses turning for home maybe some others I don't remember anymore um, and I took over at some point and started doing them based on her designs but in that course of time I studied marketing I studied graphic design I studied photoshop and so I armed myself with all the tools I was going to need to put out three, four books a year, which was always my goal. So you can acquire this knowledge and you can acquire it very cheaply. I bought a Photoshop course on Black Friday and it was like 60 hours or something. And I, and I was working at the time I didn't have a computer with Photoshop, but I had it at an office I was working at. So I just got permission to stay late every day and do an hour of my course, mm -hmm. you know? So there's ways. If that's the way you want to educate yourself going forward to, to develop all of these skills. And then once you can learn off of a template, you can learn how to you know, do anything or, or off a tutorial, you can sort it out. It's a lot of headache, mm -hmm. but if it's what you want to do, spend the time. Mm -hmm. But if it's a one-off book or if it's once a year, I don't know that all that time is worth your time uh, because you don't retain it. Mm -hmm that and things change like there isn't a photoshop anymore there is a cloud version of photoshop which changes sometimes monthly mm. things just vanish so it can be you know you could be looking at well i've acquired all this knowledge last year and now i've written this book and i don't remember what to do and where has the toolbar gone and what am i doing with my life and then it just you just spiral i don't know <laughs> <It's worth that. laughs> And, and everything that I do, I sort of balance what, how much is my time worth? So that can, you know, is my time worth somebody else doing this job for me? Often it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then if you're doing four books a year, investing and in educating yourself in how to do it ends up saving you money in the long run. But if you're just publishing once a year, mm -hmm. like you said, it's hard to retain that knowledge. And and I imagine you're using your, the Photoshop and for all the, cause you're, doing the graphic design for all your other elements that go under promotion too. So you're, you're really in there using it frequently. So it just yeah. depends on, on use of time. That makes a whole lot of sense. I want listeners to know that this is going to be a special two part series because today we've talked about the importance of editing your manuscript. We've talked about cover book cover design and in our second part of this series, we're going to talk about interior design and get into some other elements of design. But Natalie, this talking about book cover design with you has been fascinating. I can't wait to get into the next part of this series and talk about interior design. But you offer 
design services for authors. Can you talk to us and share with us where authors who are interested in working with you on book cover design can find more information? Yeah, my website is nataliekreinert.com. And just on the main page, there's, you know, a toolbar at the top and where it says about. If you hit that drop down, it says ebook formatting and, and paperback formatting. And there's some examples on there, um, just some quick images of, of chapter headings and special title pages and things like that. And then, yeah, just send me an email, natalie at nataliekreinert.com, and I'll get back with you. Perfect. And of course, I will link to uh, all those services in Natalie's show notes so you can get directly to her quickly. But I wanted to make sure that you knew that she offered these amazing mm -hmm. services to fellow authors. Natalie, thank you so much for the gift of your time. And I can't wait to connect uh, again on interior design. It was great. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.